So if you read my newsletter, you saw that um, I'm doing a four-part series right out of the chute in the new year, asking the question, what is the meaning of life? What was I thinking? In other words, what is the quest about? Really, the root of the word question. The search that makes us human, that only we, as far as we know, as humans, are able to do, to search, to ask, to question, to ponder. We have three cats, Henry Traveler and George Washington, and I can't imagine that Traveler and George Washington sit around pondering the meaning of life. But humans do. In fact, it is that ability to ask the question that may be the very essence of being created in the image of God, that we have a conscience and a consciousness that can step out of ourselves enough to ask such questions. So I think it would be good for us to start pondering the meaning of life by looking at the text for this morning. It happens to be the lectionary text that I think fits perfectly for the sermon series, at least to begin with. And it can be used, I think, for all of us as a template, for it is about Jesus and Jesus' own search for the meaning of life. It can be for us a template of how maybe we should follow. Let us pray. Oh God, we are starved for meaning and purpose, direction and community. Open our hearts and minds and souls to the place where your fruitful feast of meaning is found. In Christ's name, amen. According to the Gospel of Matthew from chapter 3, verses 13 through 17, may God open up to us an understanding of this word. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. In the Bible, righteousness means relationship, right relationships. Then John consented, and when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. It's going to take four weeks to dive into the depths of meaning in this series, and before I go too far into it, let me offer some disclaimers. It seems to me at least that now is as good a time as any in my lifetime to ask the question of life's meaning, not because I have any illusions of grandeur that I can answer it with any deep philosophical or theological genius but because I think we live in a time that must ask the question, 
for we have lost our way. And not only that, it's the beginning of a new year, the perfect time to ask deeper questions about meaning and purpose. Hopefully, in doing so, we might find some clear direction. Plus, we're sort of emerging from a cocoon of COVID where questions of meaning came more easily in our isolation. I referred to where our world is today, and I have to say also our country, our politics seems to be in tatters, having lost most everything of value as far as meaning is concerned, in my opinion. Now it seems for too many of our political leaders that meaning is more like cynicism and anger and get back and the drive not only to drain the swamp but to burn it down. It's become from both sides deeply narcissistic and deep thinking of darkness. It's about me, I think, rather than we. And what we have now is a group of many defiant, antagonistic, and bullying politicians who could care less what it means to the greater good. This is not the meaning of what our democracy expects. So we must ask the deeper questions. It's also a good time to ask the question, entering into what has been described as the most irreligious, the most irreligious era in human history. Questions about faith and meaning are irrelevant to more people than ever today, while at the same time, despair, anxiety, suicide, mean-spiritedness, and mass murders are on the rise. A quick, a quick web search reveals much of what many of us think is the meaning of life. One said the meaning of life is simple, video games. Another said, easy answer to that. The meaning of life is to sleep, to eat, to drink, to procreate, used a different word by the way, <laughs> to sleep, and to do it again, over and over again. If that's true, really if that's true, then what separates that person from our three cats or any beasts whose whole life is to sleep and eat and drink and procreate and sleep. That's not what it means to be human. To question why we are here, whose we are and what we are is the question of meaning and purpose. And I'm gonna use those parallel today, but I will, I will parse that out a little more clearly later. Another reason, by the way, is more personal. I turned 70 in March, and even at 70, I'm still asking the question. While I think I have an idea of what the meaning of life is, I don't really know until I live it out. Also, at 70, it's one of those birthdays with a zero at the end. It sort of evokes in us questions like this. I'm aware that not everyone wants to go there with this. I'm aware of that. It's, you know, sounding like psychological or philosophical psychobabble. 
and just get on with it. I mean, just get on with it. Forget about going into that place. Just get on with it. Do something with your life. Do something that makes a difference. Do something that matters. That's where meaning is. But do what exactly? And there's also a part of us and many of us too, I think, who prefer not to ask those questions, but rather to flit through life like butterflies being pulled from one shiny flower distraction to the next. I shop, therefore I am. You would think you could turn to the Bible for an unambiguous answer to the meaning of life. And I want to say that the Bible, if it does anything, it speaks to that question, what is the meaning of life, but not in a clearly defined way that we can all come to understand and write down because there's always some level of subjectivity about it. And besides that, the Bible is also in some way trying to figure out for itself what the meaning is because there's contradiction in it. Ecclesiastes, the book of Ecclesiastes says the meaning of life is to eat, drink, and be merry because everything else is vanity. Even asking the question is vanity. Trying to find an answer is vanity. Just eat, drink, and be merry. Love if you can. It's the rest of it's just beyond us. Read the book. It's what it's calling into question. Our questions. But then you have the prophets who are clearly able to tell us what the meaning of life is. And you have the first five books of the Bible called the Pentateuch who can tell us what the meaning of life is. And you have Jesus who sets foot on earth. And Jesus has words of defining meaning and purpose clearly all the books through. Paul, but each one in a little different nuance according to the particular perspective and community that it's being voiced to. So it's not so easy to find this answer, but to find it, I think we must. And the way we do so is by questing for it. Socrates, I agree with, said, the unexamined life is not worth living. The way we find out answers like meaning and purpose is to examine our lives. As Christians, we're called to quest, to search. We're searchers. And the root of quest, by the way, is, or that is the root of question, by the way, and to question is as much our purpose as it is to know. And the only way we know anything is by questioning it, and when we know it, we should still keep questioning it at each different stage of life. So, all said, Let's look at this morning's passage for some evidence. We think Jesus was born with a halo around his head in the crib and everybody bowing down to him because he was clearly the son of God and everybody knew it, even the cows and sheep. But that's the painting that came through medieval painters. Jesus was born just like you and me. He had to be cleaned up just like you and me. He nursed just like you and me. He was a child like you and me. He grew up like you and me. He was, the Bible says, as human as we are human, as finite and mortal as we are. He did not have omniscience or omnipotence. He did not have all of God's knowledge and 
wisdom. He was a human being born in the image of God and claimed as by God to be God's son, just like we are, but different because this is the son, we are sons and daughters. And the son, Jesus, struggled with his own life, I think, this may be a little, a little etchy for you, but hang in there. This is the beauty of being an interim. I can, <laughs> I can touch the edge of heresy and not worry too much about getting fired. Um, and th this is not heretical, by the way. This is, this is orthodox as much as anything. Jesus struggled through his life just as much as we do with his meaning and purpose. There's not much evidence to support it any other way. But we hardly have ever thought about it, what Jesus was like growing up, what he struggled with, how he behaved. Did he tease his brothers? Did he crack jokes? Did he lose his temper? Luke is the only gospel that even mentions Jesus growing up as a child. And, and even then, it's scant what he says. After he was circumcised, the child grew and became strong, Luke says. Then one year, his parents decided to take him to Jerusalem for Passover. It was his 12th birthday year, the year of the bar or bat mitzvah. And it was for Passover celebration. And as his parents had celebrated and on their way back to Galilee, they were in a caravan and they were way down the road when they discovered that Jesus wasn't with them. He had deserted his parents and chosen instead to, to disobey and go into the temple and sit at the feet of the priests and the Pharisees. And Luke says he asked enormously hard and in interesting questions, so much so that the leaders of the temple were amazed at how much knowledge he had. Yet his parents down the road say, where's Jesus? And discover he's not there and turn back to Jerusalem. And three days later, you get this? You've lost your child for three days and you're completely frantic, right? Three days later, they finally find him in the temple. And his mother Mary comes to him and chews him out saying, child, which is like my mother when she'd say, William Stephen Goyer, child, why have you treated us this way? Your father and I are beside ourselves with anguish and worry looking for you. And then Jesus' response, maybe just like every 12-year-old child, I'm trying to remember what my girls would have said, uh, um, chill out, dad or duh, <laughs> Jesus as a 12 year old comes across nothing short of insolent. He says back to them, why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And the story ends with this. <laughs> There's a lot of space between that comment and what must have happened to him. The story ends with this. Then Jesus went down with his parents and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. 
Then the story ends with, and Mary, just like she did at his birth, treasured all these things in her heart, which means she held them close, not knowing for sure what it all meant. And Luke finally says, Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor. He grew up. That's it. That's all we get about Jesus growing up as a child. He grew up in wisdom and body and faith and in awareness of his meaning and purpose. He grew up and into it. And then almost 20 years later, we come to today's passage where John the Baptist, who we never seem to get rid of before Christmas nor after, is out in the wilderness baptizing people for the forgiveness of sins. And they're all lined up from the whole countryside, everybody, even the leaders of the temple are all lined up to get there. And John the Baptist is sounding worse than any fire and brimstone paint finger pointing preacher you have ever heard saying, listen up. You brood of vipers, if you do not bear good fruit, you will be cut down and thrown into the fires of hell. And then John says, don't look at me. It's not going to be me who does it. It's the one who is coming after me. I'm not even worthy to tie his shoelaces. He's coming with the Holy Spirit and fire, and, and he's got a winnowing fork in his hand. And when he shows up, he's going to separate all you sheep from the goat and all you wheat from the chaff. And for the chaff, he's going to burn into the fires of hell. And for the wheat, he's going to gather close to them. And they're scared. And Jesus shows up. And he doesn't have a winnowing fork in his hand, surprising to John. Instead, he has a towel that he'll use to wash the feet of his disciples and the feet of those gathered there. Jesus shows up and he gets in line, not just the, the, the wheat line, but the chaff line. It was just one line and Jesus gets in line with both and he stands, his, and he stands that way until it comes to him. And, and John the Baptist says, what are you doing? I'm supposed to be baptized by you, not you by me. And Jesus says, this must happen in order for right relationships to be formed. And some people say that when you're baptized by John the Baptist, you know, you go down backwards into the water all the way down and, and he holds your nose or you hold it. And if you've ever been baptized that way, you, you remember it. And he holds you down so long you think you're gonna drown so that when you almost experience death, and you finally come up grasping for air, now you've experienced what it, resurrection is like. And I can just see Jesus coming up out of the water like that. And the, and the text says that when he came up out of the water, he saw the Holy Spirit come down from heaven like a dove and light on him and heard the voice of God. He heard the voice of God say, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And my sense is that this is the place where Jesus finally gets it, not finally, but ultimately gets it, that this is now his clear purpose, his meaning at this moment when God speaks to him coming up out of the waters of baptism, defines him for who he is as a child, his child of God, just like we're defined as a child of God from these waters too. But Jesus as his child of God, and you are my beloved in whom I am most proud. 
Jesus then knows what he must do. He can no longer be the carpenter that he was. Now, now he will be the Christ, the Savior. Incidentally, right after that big old amazing moment, he gets thrown into the wilderness for 40 days, but that's another sermon. The point is that, that Jesus doesn't know until God speaks to him. But he searched and searched and searched for 30 years until he finally got that word from God. And so is that not true for us too? I promise you, you cannot know the meaning of life when you're 21 years old. I thought I did. I wasn't close. I'm not sure I still know for sure what it is. I can tell you, well, the catechism says to glorify God and enjoy God forever. Or Jesus said, love God with all your heart and mind and your neighbor as yourself. That's the meaning and purpose of life. But there's a subjectivity to that because we don't know the heart and mind of God to, to begin with. And also, who is my neighbor? The question Jesus asked when he told the Good Samaritan story. Neighbor is myself. Does that, does that mean the immigrants in Texas? Are they my neighbors? Or just the person that's right next door? There's a lot of movement in these questions. John Kabat-Zinn, one of the great meditation uh, directors, Dr. Zinn, great book, by the way, um, was teaching a class on the meaning of life, and one student raised his hand and said, uh, you know, I think I know the meaning of life. And Dr., you know, he's like 18. And Dr. Zinn says, oh, yeah, what? He goes, the meaning of life is about the search. That's the meaning of life, to search for the meaning. And Dr. Zinn says, I get that. I see where you're coming from. That's absolutely part of it, for sure. And that's as much of it as anything I can say for you right now. That's your job is to search. But I also want to say that if you search for the rest of your life, you're going to be like that generation who are afraid of missing out and cannot stop and rest or stop and stand on anything or any place. They just keep moving to the next place and the next place and the next place thinking they'll find it. Sooner or later, he said to this student, you're going to have to take a stand about what you think the meaning of life is about and your purpose. Otherwise, you'll never discover what's important. It takes them, some of us longer. I'm still working on it, I'll be honest. I think I know, but I change. Jesus, I think even after his baptism was in process, ultimately, up until the last night when he, when he cried in the garden, if it be thy will, let this cup pass, hoping that his life's meaning was not going to end on a cross. But even still when it did, when it did, I think that is the place he finally, finally, ultimately came to see. We search for it. We question for it. We reach out for it. We ask for it. And we wait for God's word to reveal to us the answer.